kind of just came out of me naturally. Laying in bed, cam age in the dark, looking up at the ceiling. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with And it's just like this light. Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host, Dennis. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And we're just a couple guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how you doing today? Good, good, Robert. How you doing is the question I should be asking. You sound a little bit, well, you, you played well this morning, but you sound a little bit under the weather. You were coming off a little bit of a sickness, no? Yeah, if we had recorded this a couple of days ago, I would have had the would have had the nice gravelly voice ready to to record the podcast. There, smoked you know? a couple of packs of smokes. Um, <laughs> before, you were about before, to quit on us breakfast. two days ago. You were quitting on us for golf, but you managed to come out and uh, get off a few good shots today. No, I was going to say I played out there with you today. How are yeah. you saying that you're doing good? I, I uh, watched your game, buddy. <laughs> we didn't win because of one member, two members, three members, four members. I was sinking my putts. Actually, um, no, I wasn't sinking my putts. No. All my putts were lipping out. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a good time. It, it was, it was a good lost. time. We lost to the young ones. But. Yeah, but it was great to get out. Uh, Knights of Columbus event. Yes, Knights of Columbus event. Larry running the show there. It was good, Larry and Jerry. Yeah, God, God bless uh, Larry and Jerry for putting that on. Lots of fun. Lots of fellowship. Mm-hmm. Right? It was uh, great to hang out with you, Jean-Marc, and Paul, Paul there yep. today. Um Lost a few golf balls to the woods, but it was just yeah. a, a good time. And that that notion of fellowship, getting together with other men, is is really good and kind of what the nights are all about as well. And raising a little bit of money for the nights, yeah, absolutely, good time. Talking about fellowship, we have a guest with us again here today, a great young gentleman that uh, we've met a couple times. Mm-hmm. You and I, and I almost been... met twice. I met once at school, and almost met him a second time at at oh. our parish, right, Robert? If you could get yourself out of bed in time in the summer, you know, maybe you could have met him there. Well, but uh, it, it, it seems like God kept calling us uh, together. God kept putting Keith uh, in our path. And so mm-hmm. rightfully so, we needed to have Keith on the show. Actually, the first time we met Keith, over a year ago, we said, we got to have you on the show. And right. just things kind of roll out of control as they usually do so uh, we're able to to finally pull it together today good good so let's get started shall we we've got yeah, the without beer further ado up. yep i uh, want to introduce keith diaz like i said we met keith about a year ago when he came into our school as a regen missionary with the office of catholic youth out of the archdiocese of toronto we talked with him and his uh co-missionary at the time kim Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll maybe talk a little bit about that as we get into Keith's story, because they've both taken a very different vocational path, right? And I'm not going to tip my hand to anything in that just yet. And then, yeah, God brought Keith back across our paths again this summer, Dennis. Uh, I had just come back from vacation, and I was at St. Bernadette Parish because His Grace, our new Archbishop, Frank Leo, was Francis Leo was saying Mass. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm 
the archbishop is there, maybe I should show up. Mm-hmm. But uh, not to you know throw any shade at the archbishop, but there was you know four other great young missionaries there as well from the Totus Tuus program out of the Office of Catholic Youth. Keith Diaz being again one of them when uh, Father Chris invited them up to introduce them. I went, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I always just find it amazing the way God does that. He brings people across our paths. Now, Keith now resides at Sarah House, which is, I wanted to say the the home for discernment. When you start calling it the home, it sounds like he's older than mm-hmm. you, Dennis. I know, right. but it, it's it, not. It's a uh, residence for young men who are discerning the, the priesthood, right? So in downtown Toronto, in right? downtown Toronto, with the Archdiocese of Toronto. Now Keith grew up in Scarborough, or for me, I, I know it more as Scarberia. Right. Yeah, just a stone's throw, just a little east of Toronto. Yeah, just in the greater Toronto area. And now he's moved further east, even east of me. I'm so he's gone from Scarberia to the Schwa. To the Schwa. <laughs> now, now in, his family's now in North Oshawa and another fantastic and vibrant parish at St. Joseph the Worker. Mm-hmm. So sorry for that uh, disjointed introduction there, Keith, but welcome to the Pines and Pews podcast, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much to Robert and Dennis. Not disjointed at all. And that was great. That's good that you could join us here, Keith. Um, And you did bring a drink with you. We'll get to that in a second. Yes. It's not a beer, but it's almost like a kind of an (laughs) Irish beer. (laughs) Was it a whiskey you said you had? Yeah, whiskey. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So we're all going to take our sips very shortly. We're just yeah. Gonna I got I got to open up because Dennis was so excited. Yeah. He opened uh, Robert I, again. I told Robert, let's make it quick, and I bring my beer about fifteen minutes before show. I might as well bring it a half an hour before show. But I had to, had to get started, out my there my you go. Belgium Finally got a gift from you after all these years. Um, and the thing is, now my beer is getting warm, so we're going to start. Robert is going to pour. So what and are I'm you drinking, say, Dennis? While I'm pouring, you introduce I'm your I'm drinking beer. our good friends from Brock Street. Between myself in Ajax and Keith in Oshawa is Whitby's, uh, one of Whitby's most famous craft brewery, uh, Brock Street. Triple threat. A Belgium triple, 9.5%. Very nice. What do you have? Puppy well, in, in honor of uh, you gentlemen, I'm having from the Old Flame. It's been a while since I've had from my local, the Old Flame, just down mm. the street. Uh and it's just a seasonal tap that they've got on the go. I tried it the other day. It was very nice. I have an Italian Pilsner. Mm. Puppy love. They call it puppy love. I thought the last episode we said you weren't singing anymore. <laughs> Don't get me started on that song. But it's a, a I, nice crisp yellow color there for the You the know Pilsner. what? I've had some good German Pilsners. I don't think I've ever had an Italian Pilsner. Maybe I have. I don't remember, Robert. But yeah, that looked like a nice color to it. Anyhow, we were going to start. Yeah. So, whose turn is it to say uh, grace? I think it's my turn. I think you said it last week. I mean, we've got the seminary. We've got a seminarian here. Oh yes, sure. But he he doesn't have the prayer in front of him. But uh, yeah, Keith, you're going to have to start getting used to being put on the spot there for for prayers if it hasn't started already. As it has, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Here we go, gentlemen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant, through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Cheers, Cheers, gentlemen. gentlemen. Cheers, Keith. Salute. Did, uh, oh, that was uh, talk about worth the wait. That looks good. Nice and crisp on my end, uh, too. Now, what oh, whiskey are you drinking there, Keith? Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. There you go. Scottish Johnny Walker. There, okay. We're, we're not going to get into what color it is, but that's okay. <laughs> I was going to say I left, out. I left it on purpose. Yeah, my 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 dad's standby for me always growing up was the the Johnny Walker Red, and as Dennis alluded to earlier, I was feeling a little under the weather this week, and my go to when I'm not feeling well is I'll, I'll do a hot lemon and honey, so a little you know juice of a lemon, some honey, hot water, and then I'll top it off with the strongest thing I can find in the liquor cabinet, wow. and I have a little bit left of my dad's Johnny Walker Red, and the bottle Mm-mm. has to be at least a decade old. That's all okay. Right. It keeps well, whiskey. Oh. Oh, it's it's all good. Keith, this is the part of the show at the beginning where we get out of the way and we kind of just let our guests tell their story. So you can begin where you want and just tell us a little bit about your faith story growing up. I'm no. sure it's going mean, it's to be way better than that bio we threw together 30 seconds before <laughs> the show. So I, this, this, looking forward to this. <laughs> well, hello, Keith Diaz. I was born in the Philippines, hmm. 1995. And don't say that. We don't <laughs> need the year. That's just depressing for the two of us here. Yeah, that was when we both started teaching in 1995. But go on. <laughs> I'll bury it with more details. Then you know it was, <laughs> uh, and we were only there for a year, and then we moved to the Middle East to the United States. <laughs> where there was a large Filipino community and we were there for eight years. And then we moved to Canada in 2003 to British Columbia, a place called Surrey. Mm. We were there for a year. And then we moved to Scarborough in 2004, 2005. And yeah, we, we stayed in Scarborough, went to high school in Scarborough. And in my grade 12 year, we moved to Oshawa. And uh, thanks, thanks be to God for my mom who who drove us every day from Oshawa to Scarborough and back home. And uh, my sister wow. older than I am, so even after I graduated from high school, she was still driving my sister to school and back because you wanted to stay with your friends in in Scarborough in high school. Involved in in high school, my sister okay. involved as well. So and my mom was also working for TCDSB. Uh, and so, yeah, it just, it just worked out. Uh, and then, just, just to stop you there. I'm just wondering when you said the United Aramids for eight years, I believe now, were you practicing your faith? Is it difficult to practice your faith and why the moves? Was it your parents' jobs that, or family members that took you to Canada from there or took you originally from the Philippines to the UAR, mm-hmm. UAE, excuse me? The, yeah, my, my parents' jobs. So my dad was an engineer and my mom was a teacher. Okay. And so, yeah, they, I think they, they told me that it pays really well over there in the UAE. Mm-hmm. And then they found a job. They found jobs here in Canada. So it was because of the jobs. Yeah. And, and did uh, you practice your faith there? Was there a faith community? I've heard different stories coming from the Middle East in terms of Catholics being able to practice their faith. Yeah. From, from what I remember, because I, I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were young. Yep. So I remember going to church and we. Photos of us receiving our first communion. 
I didn't experience any animosity uh, regarding the faith while we were there. Yeah, and from what I hear, anyways, yeah. So there was there was no like, oh, uh, it's interesting though because we, mm-hmm. yeah, we we would participate, or I remember participating in some of the cultural norms over there. Right? So Ramadan was obviously a mm-hmm. big, and so that's something that uh, we would try to conform ourselves to as well. <laughs> yeah, so right. yeah, but no, no, yeah, no uh, negative n- negative pushback. Right. So you're in, you're in, uh, Oshawa finishing up high school. Right. Yeah. Finished high school. And then I moved away for university. I went to Laurier for business Mm -hmm. and finished that. And it was around that time, I'd say that I started moving away from the faith, uh, growing up, my, my parents made sure that we would go to mass and we got involved in I'm sure you've heard of it, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Couples for Christ. So, great number of Filipinos uh, in this community. And so, we started as Kids for Christ, and then we become Youth for Christ. And then, if if uh, people decide to move on, they go into Singles for Christ. And then, if they meet someone in the community or meet someone else, they become Couples for Christ. <laughs> it goes back to Couples for Christ, yeah. It goes with that, so... Uh, I grew up in the community, but I never really enjoyed it. I only enjoyed it because, honestly, uh, we would go there and say, oh, there are a lot of pretty girls here, or it's, it's nice to hang out with your friends. But there wasn't, you know, they, they taught us the faith, but for any other reason, for any reason other than um, having fun, socializing, it, I, I didn't really like going there. And so by the time I moved away for university, it was like, oh, thank God that I, I'm away from all of it. And my mom, I remember the first day we moved in to residence at Laurier, uh, I had a, my roommate was my friend from high school. And my mom told him to make sure that I go to mass on Sunday. <laughs> and so um, he, would, he would remind me and I would go to mass on Sundays, but just because my mom told me to. But as, as one dives deeper and deeper and deeper into campus life um yeah i started moving away from god and i I started indulging in sins that i grew up hearing are not in conformity with god's rules but i didn't uh, experience immediate consequences so i said oh yeah like i heard this is bad but I'm having fun. Uh, and so kind of just dis- started disregarding God more and more uh, up until, let's say, my last year. My last year of Laurier, uh, I got into Buddhism, yoga, just what, what so many people are into mm-hmm. right, at that age. Uh, and... By the time I graduated university and I started working for a company, I I felt very unfulfilled, uh, empty, and I I became very confused because grow, I, I said uh, I thought this would make me happy. Mm. I, so much hard work, I I sacrificed a lot a lot of my time um, just to end up here 
And because I was no longer rooted in my faith, I had, I didn't really have anything uh, solid to fall back on. Right? Uh, and, and the only aids that I had built up were vices through university, whether it was drugs, uh, sex, yeah, all, all sorts of vices. And of course, these are, these are uh, so temporary. They, they just dissipate in your fingers, right? As, as soon as you try to hold on to them as something solid. So I kept falling and falling and falling. Uh, and I could get into this later on. I don't want to drag the story longer, but there came, there came a point when I, I hit rock bottom. And that rock bottom, uh, that's when I actually called out for help. Um, and that's when I experienced God's mercy through his mother, uh, Mama Mary. And that's when I, I received this sense of hope. And ever since, that, ever since then, I've been trying to develop that relationship, right? that, that, that constant, um, that helps me confront problems and struggles without trying to drown them with uh, temporary temporary means or, or forgetting about problems. So it actually allows me, so uh, facing problems, struggles. And that's, that's what I realized, that's what I needed. And I, 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 had w- I wish that I had learned it sooner, but of course, uh, no regrets. Mm-hmm. I dedicate my life to now and seeing how so many young people today uh, are they growing up founded upon that solid foundation right or are they being carried away by temporary pleasures and not uh, coming to terms with suffering uh yeah and that and that i see the fullness of that in jesus christ in his incarnation, suffering in his body, uh, incarnate. And that's why I love, I love our love. I love our faith, how it is so real incarnate. And, uh, it is proven even by his, uh, subjecting himself to a mother. Uh, yeah. So that, that's, that's how I came to, uh, I just, how it came back to the faith. And, and then I wanted to ask you, Keith, do you think that, Having had that foundation laid, having had those seeds planted in you when you were a child, growing up, going to the couples for Christ, kids for Christ, singles for Christ, and your mom kind of ensuring even when you first start a university, make sure you get to Mass on Sunday. Do you think that allowed Mama Mary to come back into your life, allowed you to open the door to Christ, where if you had not had that foundation, do you think you still would have been off adrift in the world. But mm. the fact that you knew that there was that mooring, that there was that rock, the bark of Peter, mm-hmm. you, how, how foundational was that for you? Foundational, 100%, Robert. Yeah, good, good question. It's um, something that I look back on and bask in the beautiful mystery of God's providence. That's how we set it up, right? Like, uh he allowed me the free will to turn away from him. Yet he had set me up so that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be completely hopeless. Uh, and the reason why I turned to Mama Mary when I when I was rock bottom was because that was the first prayer that came to mind. Even though I had stopped praying for months, 
at that at that lowest point in my life that I, I that I alluded to. Yeah, I, I stopped. I even stopped going to mass on Sundays. I was angry at God. I would I would punch the wall in my room, angry at God, and 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 then suddenly it's like, oh, like wait, I actually need help. I actually need help. And what I what what should I do? And an inspiration came to me uh, to pray. And I, I'm getting to this point right now where I feel like I cannot avoid because usually sometimes when I just wanted to introduce my testimony, my faith story, I don't know if I should include like perhaps the, the most important part of it. Um, but I, I could get I could get into that now if if that's all right. The the microphone's in front of you right now, so mm-hmm. uh, we've turned it over to you. And we give up all control. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be candid about it. Basically, uh, I, I was working uh, at a bank after graduating from Laurier, and I became extremely depressed. I and I, my my dad started noticing the difference in my behavior. And I was, we were still living, so we were living in Oshawa, but I was working in downtown Toronto and he thought it's because, because of the commute. So he helped me get a condominium downtown right beside my office building. And, and I thought, we all thought this would make it better. Maybe the, the commute is just taking way too much out of me. However, it only made things worse somehow. Mm-hmm. Because I would get up in the morning, or I would wake up in the morning, but I couldn't get up. And I would I would look out the window across the street at my office building and think to myself, I should be there right now. But I I, I cannot move my body. I, I just cannot. There's not there's no energy in me to move my body. And that went on for months. And they I was confused. My whole family was confused because they were so used to this guy who was energetic, who wanted to talk to everyone, was a go-getter. And then here they here they see me. Um, my sister was living with me at the time. She would leave in the morning to go to class. She would come back. And she was later later in the afternoon or in the evening. She'd say, "You are literally in the same position in bed." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I left. When I left, like I would stay in bed the whole day and this would go on for months. And so I started realizing there's a problem here, right? And my dad would come visit me and he would, he would say, son, come see a doctor with me. And I would refuse and say, no, get away. I don't want to see anyone right now. I, I, I told people to go away. I, I, I stopped hanging out with my friends. I stopped going to mass, as I said. And then one day, so this had already been going on for months. I remember um, pacing back and forth in that condo. And it was just really, really bad. And I would search up on Google, what do you do when you're depressed? And that would make things worse because I wasn't retaining any information. And I just felt more hopeless and hopeless. 
and and then and then I remember it was uh, I, I was on the twenty sixth floor. And I remember the sun was just coming through the window, and it's really nice. And I was like, "Well, look at everyone enjoying the day outside. It's, it's a beautiful day. Maybe I should go out for a walk, right?" So I look out the window and I see everyone outside, but I look down at the at the pavement, and I imagine myself falling. And and what was weird was that I. I actually wanted to do it. There was a desire in me to just jump and then just end it all. But thank, thankfully, I didn't do that. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to merciful God. Um, I took a step back and I went back to bed. And I, but I, I was like, what just happened? I, I, I can't believe I just had a suicidal thought. I can't believe it. What? And so when my dad, although shout outs to my dad, who didn't give up, he, he came back and he asked me again, son, please see a doctor with me. At least do it for me. And because that that thing had just happened, I mm-hmm. said, let's go. And that was in the evening. And he took me to Cam H uh, on College Street. Mm-hmm emergency uh and the doctor asked him questions he asked the doctor asked my sister questions he asked me some questions and then he he diagnosed me with uh severe depression anxiety and suicidal thoughts so he said okay we're gonna have to keep you here overnight and at that point i was just going along with everything i was just like yeah whatever 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 and then so they led me to a room um they, they they checked my vitals, but it didn't hit me yet. It didn't hit me what was happening, right? And so I get into bed and it just felt normal because I would always get into bed, right? Bed, just, just being in bed was just such a normal state for me. And, and then the nurse comes around checking our rooms with flashlights and I hear another patient screaming down the hall. And that's when it hit me that I am now a patient at a mental health hospital. And before I had just watched that in movies and I would always watch them. Oh, uh, how unfortunate for them. Oh, that really sucks. Right. Thank God I'm not in their position, but here I was actually there. And that's, that's, I think that's the first time after so long that I acknowledged the truth of my weakness that I acknowledged, um, my misery and and that's when I I became open to that inspiration to pray, to ask for help. And to answer, this is a long way of answering your question, Robert, is I was like, what do I pray? Do I even know how to pray anymore? And the first prayer that came to mind was the Hail Mary, because my mom always made sure we prayed the rosary as a family every night when we were growing up. And so of course it was just embedded into me and it kind of just came out of me naturally laying in bed, cam age in the dark, looking up at the ceiling, hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with, and it's just like this light, this light that, uh, yeah, it's very hard to explain, but it was, it was very different 
very different from what I have been feeling constantly without any interruption, just that this constant pain that wouldn't go away for months. And then suddenly here, this was this, this, this lightness, I would describe it, this lightness. And that's what, that's what affirmed in me that there was hope, you know, that my life is precious, uh, that there is a way out of this. Um, and and I so I ended up staying at the hospital for one week, even though they said you're gonna stay here for overnight. And something I ended up staying there for a week. They started teaching us CBT, right? In 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 uh, CAMH. Uh feel things with your senses, your with your hands. Uh, feel the feet, your feet on the ground. Okay, that would ground me in reality. And I got back into meditation. I said, okay, I really have to work on this because I need to reorient my life. And then uh, maybe several months after this happened, uh, my mom, for her 50th birthday, had something called 2,000 Hail Marys. 2,000 Hail Marys. And so she would just invite a bunch of friends over, and then families would take turns saying 100 Hail Marys. They would go upstairs, go eat some food, socialize, and another, another family would take over. 100 Hail Marys, so from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that day, I thought to myself, what if I can apply what I've learned in meditation to this Hail Mary? And so I just stayed there, and I said the Hail Mary over and over again. And when I was doing that, I really sensed her presence, which I got a glimpse of that night in Kamage, but here I was making a conscious effort and sacrificing uh, the very small sacrifice that I can make to spend time with her. And I, that's when I sensed her presence. And I think that was the day when I said, okay, I want to learn more about you, Mary. And of course, through Mary, I learned more about her son. And these are real, these are real persons on the other end, um, not just an idea. That's what that's what kept grounding me. And to 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 wrap it all up, um, I that night that night I, I was in CAMH. Uh, that happened in the month of May. It happened in the month of May of 2018. And that's something that I just that kind of like those, that was an afterthought when I when I was reflecting back on on what happened. I realized that it was in the month of May. And so Mary has, has, has to this day been a constant, uh, a constant intercessor for me. So Keith, where do you, and, and as you finish and you're coming out of this depression and, and your family's praying for you and you're praying, so how does this lead towards, you know, this is about five years ago now. And how do you lead, how does this lead towards the priesthood and, and to eventually Sarah house and seminary? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, uh, I went back to work after. Right back to the bank. To the bank, and yeah, I wanted to give it. A, I wanted to give it a chance because they were very kind to me. Mm-hmm. Gave me the time off of work to do therapy and to uh, just reorient myself again. And so I went back, and I, I also around the time I started spending more time at church before the Blessed Sacrament. I started praying more, obviously praying the rosary more often. 
and uh, talking to uh, not officially a spiritual director, but just talking to a priest. I had started discerning the Jesuits because in that I was like, oh, the faith, Jesus, like this is awesome, right? And so I said, I want, I wanna, I wanna do something to serve Jesus. And I was at a, a Singles for Christ conference in Montreal, and they had a booth. The Jesuits had a booth. And when I picked up the, the pamphlet, their, the Cardona house, it was like their, um, that's the office, of, that's the vocation director's office. It was a walk away from where I was working in the, in the Mars building by Queen's Park in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Wow, this works out amazing. So I'm going to, I went over there, started talking to Jesuits. And as I started spending more time at church, I would go back to work, sit at my desk. And then before diving into my work, I would just take a moment and then absorb everything that's going on around me. And I would compare that to how I felt. And of course, we, go, we can talk about later on, like feelings, right? Basing my faith on feelings, but of course, as an early revert, that was something that was attracting me. That, that was that was necessary for me to come into the faith. Uh, and so I was com- I was comparing how I felt there at work with how I felt at church, peace before the Blessed Sacrament. And I just knew that God was calling me for something else than where I was. And he was in, inviting me to explore that option, which of course freaked, freaked me out. <laughs> well, I can imagine. I was like, no, 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 please don't, please don't tell me this is, no, no. <laughs> I'm there sitting at my desk at work and I'm like, no, please don't tell me you're inviting me to, to discern the priesthood. But when, even when I thought about it like that, I'm like, there was something in me that said, there's this part of me that's like, yeah, come on, we can do that. Priesthood. Doesn't that sound nice? And so, uh, yeah, I started discerning. Uh, so I, want, I wanted to have a more balanced discernment, not just with the Jesuits, but also with the Archdiocese of Toronto, the Austin priesthood. So I started discerning with their office of vocations and of course, naturally discerning marriage as well. And I got a spiritual director and one thing led to another, Uh, even though so many times I wanted to go the other way. (laughs) There were some times when I was very close to not going to seminary. but yeah, it's hard to explain, but I think the best way to explain it is to like tell it through stories, which I, which I really do appreciate how we can, we can uh, sit together here and, 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 and share stories of how God works in our lives. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's all I can say to put it concisely. One thing led to another, here I am. Yeah. And so that path of discernment, like you say, it was, you know, kind of a, a one moment thing, but it also is a path and it's, and it's over time. And so that time kind of took you through a few different 
missionary phases, right? And I'd like to think that your time with the Office of Catholic Youth probably played into mm. that whole discernment process. And that was when we first met each other. I think it was pre-pandemic when you came into the school. Because mm-hmm. I think I remember we had you come in in the first semester, and I was excited that we were going to have you back in, in the next semester because then my son would have had a chance to see you. Uh, but then the world shut down, right? So this was really at the, the beginning uh, of your discernment process. So why don't you share a little bit about working with the Office of Catholic Youth, whether as a, a regen, so a, a chastity missionary, and then flip that into the, the totus tuus, the, mm-hmm. the children's ministry that you, you worked in this summer. Joining the Office of Catholic Youth as a missionary was one of the ways through which I thought I could avoid uh, entering the priesthood <laughs> or entering seminary, ironically enough. That's it's kind of like uh, Kids for Christ because you're there for the, the young ladies that are there as missionaries as well. But- <laughs> That. Come on, you can confess, fess up, <laughs> and you don't have to. But the, the the first set of missionaries we had come through the school, maybe three or four years before you came, actually did end up getting married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so it it does happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you were saying, kind of going into the office of Catholic youth was a way of trying to stay away from the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And. I only found out after that missionaries are required to go on a dating fast. And I was like, okay, so. Hmm. And, I did not know that. Yeah. And I, for, for the first year, if you continue as a missionary for subsequent years, you don't have to anymore. But the first year, and I was like, ah. Oh. And, and to be honest with you, I was a little upset because <laughs> uh, deep down, one of my reasons for doing that was to perhaps meet a good Catholic woman, you know, and, but even with that, I, I thought, okay, I'll do a dating fast and this would, this would train me to uh, love chastely, right? So that I'm not just uh, jumping, jumping on my desires, jumping, um, like jumping at the, the first pretty woman that I see. And so I did that, and we uh, presented the theology of the body um, to high school students for the most part. And as we as we did that, I said, "You know what? I love talking about God. I love sharing my story with young people." And this is an honor to uh, fight this, this fight of, uh, of competing with the, what's popular culture, right? And, and it seems like the, the other side is, is, is winning, right? Yet, and that these are the thoughts that come, come to me as we're pulling up into a, into the parking lot of the school that we're, that we're going to that day. These are thoughts going like, oh, I don't know, will they receive the message? But we enter the classroom 
and we're talking about the truth, not not abstract ideas, but we're we're talking about how this applies concretely concretely to their lives. Love, not not like not necessarily married, you know, being in being in a marriage, but how do you treat the person beside you? You care for them selflessly, or are you just using them for your own for your own ends? And I said, you know what? I want to serve. I want to serve you, Jesus. Um, and that's so. After after Regen, actually three three of us male missionaries from Regen ended up coming into seminary together. Hmm. That's excellent. Wow. And were, were you doing it before you were doing it pre pandemic as Robert pointed out? And were you doing it during the pandemic on zoom? Because you were obviously doing it after because Robert introduced you to our school last year. So were you doing it throughout zoom as well? Yes. Yeah. Keith, it was, yeah, you were doing it on. So that must've been much more difficult not having that face to face with the students those couple of years, I guess, but yeah. you persevered and you ended up in totus to us. And how many summers have you been doing that for? Just the one or one more? summer? Just one summer, okay. And that again teaches me to persevere. That is, yeah, mm. that's high energy. That's and that's more difficult, is it not, with the younger ones? Because you've got a little bit more mature audience with the regen, the grade nines, and the high school students, as opposed to the younger ones in the totus tuus. Correct. Exactly. Um, I'm still. I think I'm still taking my time to reflect on both experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because yes, with the, with the older crowd, relatively older with the youth, uh, they are more mature. Uh, but with the, the younger, the younger children, they are also very open to it. They are, oh, mm-hmm. there are beauty. Just like we're talking about uh, the annunciation and they are, you tell them the story of what happened and they have so many questions <laughs> and yeah. So they're, they're both, they're both obviously as with everything challenging and, and, and rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I think what one of the highlights was seeing what they want to do with what they learned. Right, so you see a bunch of, uh, for example, from Totus Tuus, some of the the younger, the younger, uh, the younger boys, they they're thinking about priesthood, uh, and then for from region, we get some some of the high school students coming up to us after the presentation and asking us like, oh, so I have a question. Maybe they didn't want to ask it in front of everyone, but like, yeah, I'm. I'm dating this person right now um how do i know that they actually love me and so you know i just love seeing it lived out i love seeing how uh, they're connecting they're connecting this to their everyday lives which i think is, is the best way to do it right instead of just saying oh jesus god pray without any uh any knowledge as to how that connects to my life i think it's absolutely amazing what you do as youth missionaries, whether it's with Regen or Totus to us coming in, is it's one thing in the classroom for those of us, like the, the kids 
look to myself as a fatherly figure. They look to Dennis as a grandfatherly figure. Right. But when younger guys like yourself come in, Mm -hmm. there's, the kids just see that you're closer in age, right? Right. A couple of years removed from all that stuff. There's probably a little bit more of a trust factor Hmm. involved. Number one, you're not their teachers. So again, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's someone who has the knowledge and someone who has the passion who there isn't that emotional commitment that you're talking to a teacher and there's that youth connection as well. And that's why I always say it was so important to have you guys come into the school. So, so important. So if there's educators listening out there, if you're in the Archdiocese of Toronto, contact the the Office of Catholic Youth to get these missionaries into your classrooms because you will not regret it. 100% it does so much good for the faith of our young people. If you're not in the Archdiocese of Toronto, I'm sure your diocese does have an Office of Catholic Youth and they have some kind of missionary program. Tap into this resource tap into this resource because it yeah i was always just floored and amazed by the connections that uh, the missionaries made when they would come into the schools Mm -hmm. and keith as well and you notice and myself and robert over the years have noticed too you're you're feeling that the void that they're not getting from instagram and snapchat and they're just there's just something empty inside of them they feel they can fill up this but they can't and you're kind of speaking to the truth that they don't often hear, or they're certainly they're not hearing outside of the classroom or when you come in. They're not hearing it in the secular world. So that's something I think that you can probably speak to in terms of you're hearing those stories one-on-one from these kids saying, I didn't know this or I never heard of this before. This is And it's a beautiful thing because they they just don't get it much anymore. Mm-hmm. No, great point. It's, um, I think I was, I was mentioning earlier the the concept of suffering. Um, and that's, I think that's, that's something that we, we, we hardly get, if at all, in this culture of social, uh, of, um, yeah, I, I want things to go my way all the time. And, uh, but I think it's, it's in us to suffer for the sake of others, the love that's, that's love, that's compassion. And if, um, and I think that's what gets so many young people today to be so restless, to feel like they have no purpose at all. And yeah, it can become confusing, but again, it's, it's so easy to drown out that confusion that, um, that divided, divided heart, um, to drown that out with more pleasures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a it's an ongoing cycle, and so yeah. W- whenever we come and face to face with other people, and we we can be honest with our struggles. So uh, I would talk about theology, the body, chastity, but I would be candid about my experiences with pornography and with my experience with unchaste relationships. Uh, it 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 still breaks my heart when i when i talk about it when i when i remember uh those those relationships but uh i again i'm i'm honored to be in the position of tapping into that in their hearts the the youth because 
Yeah, it's um because it resonates them with them as an authentic voice. And I think that's very powerful message that they're receiving for sure. Yeah. Authentic in terms of, yeah. Authentic, mm-hmm. Authenticity is a good word for it. Yeah. Authentic love. Right. And it's for something as, as love uh, to be cheapened is such a tragedy. However, uh, there is still an example of that. Albeit, uh, a very challenging example. Yet uh, there's something mysterious in that. And is is that that's what we we actually want, right? We we would say, I want to be happy. I want to be popular on Instagram. I want to be liked by other people. But that is only at first glance. But with deeper reflection, deeper reflection, which hardly anyone is getting nowadays, especially the youth deeper reflection you realize what you really want is to uh, to die to yourself and it's it seems so contradictory right to our personal experience but uh, i'm sure that we can all relate when you say by the at the end of every day uh, and if we, we if we can look back and 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 say yes i gave myself i sacrificed myself for other people that's 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 how we know that we that we that we spent our day well versus no i did this you know maybe even when we're on vacation or we have a day off but i just kind of did whatever i wanted to do it seems like fluff seems like fluff to me you know like i could have gone deeper and you come out of those days where you've done nothing and you've done fluff you kind of go where did that day go right right Right. and there's almost a a guilt Mm -hmm. i wasted the day So you've done, you did your first year at St. Augustine Seminary, the spiritual year, which is really a discernment year, a, a true discernment year, from what I understand. Right. You're now at Sarah House. Um, I keep wanting to call it the home for the discerning, but that just doesn't doesn't sound right. Like I said, it sounds more like a place for guys Dennis's age, right? The, the home for the discerning. Uh so where is God calling you through all of this then? And in, in that so kind of where what are the next steps in this discernment process as you make your way through the seminary, God willing, and Keith cooperating with God's will, eventually to the priesthood? God willing. You're right. And that question, where is God leading me through all this, is the exact same question I ask, I ask Jesus every every time I'm in the chapel uh, or whenever I'm in front of my laptop studying, working on my philosophy assignments. I'm like, where? Where do you want me to go from here? What do you want me to do with this? And... Uh, Again, uh, to, to, to tie this in with the crucified Christ, there is a, a crucifix on every seminarian's room here. And I'm so happy for that because, yeah, I can always just look at him and say, that's that's what. As, uh, it, it, can, it, it could be a vague, actually, no, it's not, it's not even a vague response. It is concrete response to say, I'm, I'm suffering through this. I'm I'm suffering through not knowing. I'm suffering through uh, trying to uh, exert mental 
effort to understand what Descartes is saying in this in this piece of writing. And uh, but it brings me into the moment. It's like, hey, this is how you're showing me that you love me. This is you're loving me through your effort right here and right now, even though it hurts. And uh, only with that uh, deeper sense of recollection that they've uh, they've trained us very well on here in the seminary, thanks be to God, that I can I can realize that, and I can be thankful for that suffering. So, to answer your question, I don't know exactly what I'll be doing five years from now, or even next year, even next month, even tonight. But uh, I, I just, I just know that um, as long as I have my eyes fixed on him, that I want to be, I just want to imitate him and unite myself to him. I think I'm good. And you, you, you answered the call though, Keith, and, and certainly we applaud that. But why do you think there's so few vocations when you think of the population of the greater toronto area and the number of catholics there and why do you think young men maybe aren't answering that call as as maybe as they did back in the day for sure and within that as well once they do get to the spiritual year of sarah house how many actually finished the program because there are a number which is probably a good thing that they decide they discern that they're not going to be priests rather than wait to ordination so first of all, why so few with, I guess there's a, at least a million Catholics in the GTA minimum. And then why? Closer to 2 why, million, I think. Closer to 2 million. Okay. Well, maybe practicing. Uh, but why, why so few in the end don't go mm-hmm. through? Is it the spiritual year is a key component of that, right? That really kind of people decide by that point, that spiritual year, which was, was just brought in within the last 20, 25 years, I believe came out of the Archdiocese of Denver, that mm. helps, I guess, allow you to discern properly whether or not the or, you know, ordained life is for you? Right. Uh, big question. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind is I think young men, mm-hmm. young, uh, not as young men, because we, there it can be in any age, right? But mm-hmm. That's right. Um are just so they have so much more time to think but in taking more time to think there is less acting there is less taking a step and so we can forever uh, mull mull over uh, a decision to make without actually ever making a decision and that's that's just brought forth by our technological culture mm-hmm. or comfortable culture you know oh i can't i've thought about i've thought about it before right but if uh if we can by the at the end of every day bring ourselves to that exam examine the nightly examine like okay what did i do today how did i respond to the holy spirit that i that i correspond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's 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 one only one of the reasons why we are seeing less men go into it. Because there's a lot there's a lot more thinking and people uh people equate discerning with thinking. Whereas discerning means you have to act as well. Right? You have to go through the process. 
And to answer the second part of your question, mm, they they said on average fifty percent of the of the men who enter in their first year discern out. Okay, I'm just gonna say about that number. Yep. But and, but thanks be to God that all twelve of us from last year's spiritual year moved forward into mm-hmm. this year, which was very surprising after everything we heard. But of course, we're, we're we're very glad for it. You know, we look around us and we say, like, "Oh man, we're so so happy that you came back." <laughs> you know, we we would give each other scares sometimes. So over the Christmas break, we're like, "Oh, are you mm-hmm. coming? Mm-hmm. are you having too much fun outside the seminary?" Uh, but yeah, people would end up coming back. Um, I think that's due to people's prayers, ours, and and uh, those who those who are praying for us outside the seminary. Uh, yeah, but. I think you're seeing a stronger generation come through as well. I just have grown up in a a different set of circumstances than, say, from a generation or two ago. Right. Um, The 60s, 70s and 80s was definitely a, a different time socially, I think. So I think even though the numbers are smaller, they're much more concentrated as well. Right, so that's what I mean by a stronger generation. That the the faith foundation is maybe stronger with your generation than it, it might have been with ours. I, don't, I could be wrong with that too, and that's just kind of my own my own personal observation. Well, Robert, who grew up in the '60s, probably would remember that more than myself. But I find there's only one of us here at the table today that actually saw the 60s as a living human being. Just speaking of St. Padre Pio face, feast day today, Robert, right? He passed away the same year as I was born. But Keith, I think the, the old um, argument that if you'd only let priests marry, I mean, you just look like you just look at Anglicanism, mainline Protestant groups. They're all uh, married. Their numbers are dropping. So that I don't think that holds water. And I, I think that that's people can't of, even stay married anymore. Never mind do right, both marriage right. and a priesthood. I just don't think right? that's a good argument. That 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 would serve. That would be the panacea for the church. Certainly not. Probably not from what you've noticed from your friends as well. Mm, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, priests are so busy. Robert works at a church full time. I don't know how they would handle a wife and children and all the priestly duties. Boy, you need you need two of you to do all that. Oh, it, it is crazy busy. It is crazy busy in there. So, Keith, just as we're wrapping things up here, if there are young men and women out there that are discerning a religious life, and I say young men and women because the, the woman can also be discerning religious life, mm-hmm. as we all know, how would they get in touch with these kind of like these different steps that, that you've gone through? So where would you point them to get in touch with the Office of Catholic Youth and from there, especially for the men discerning priesthood in the Archdiocese of Toronto, Sarah House, mm-hmm. and from there, St. Augustine's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great time right now. I can't speak for other vocation directors, but the one that I have the most experience with is Father Matt McCarthy, the current vocations director for the Archdiocese. And the very first guest ever on the Pints and Pews podcast there as you well. Go. So back in the day. <laughs> back, back before we knew what we were doing. Not well, that we know now either. I but. think he had a Guinness at the time, if I remember correctly, from all those years ago. Look at that. There you go. That's Say hello to Father Matt first as well. But go on, uh, Keith. Yes. Yeah, he's a, he's a great first point of contact. 
And he, wherever you will end up, I think he he has connections with other people, such as Father Josh Rolden at the Office of Catholic Youth. If you want to become a missionary, if you want to serve the the youth in the Archdiocese, or if you want to get in touch with the Sisters of Life, mm-hmm. uh, Father Matt McCarthy has contacts with them. And yeah, they, they're holding lots of events here in Toronto, the Sisters of Life such as their source, the source events, Adoration and Confession, Thursday nights. Uh, I don't know the exact dates for that. Uh, yeah, so Father Matt McCarthy would be a great first point of contact there. And yeah, again, that, that's a concrete step, right? I think I could say, oh yeah, pray about it, which is obviously super important, but mm-hmm. yeah, you got to take that concrete step. Actually, Robert, is there not a senior resident at Sarah House that we're interested in getting on the show that we, maybe we can have... Keith put a good in, word in for us. I, I think we want to get him on, don't we? Yeah. So, Keith, if you can whisper in the Cardinal's ear on Cardinal our Emeritus, yep. Um, if Cardinal Emeritus Collins is a, is a around and about, maybe you can, I think uh, Robert would like to uh, yeah. send an invitation to him to come on. Sure thing. Yes. Yes, I will. He's, uh, he's, he's away. He's away right now. So when he okay. returns, he travels. I will. I will put Excellent. On. Excellent, Keith. Awesome. Keith, thank you so very much for joining us today. Uh, as we said right from the top and a few times in between, you know, we met a little over a year ago. I really got to touch base with you this summer when you were the week at St. Bernadette Parish, and we would have a chance to, to chat here and there uh, through the week and got to know each other. But listening to your story today, man, like, just wow. Wow is about all I can come up with. I, I was getting shivers. What an absolutely beautiful, beautiful story. Right. So God bless you for sharing that. God bless you for having the courage to, to share your vocation story, uh, not just here, because I know you've shared it elsewhere as well. Um, God has big things in store for you. He, he, he has plans. And such an authentic one, Keith, and a very powerful one for our listeners. And, and both of us appreciate it. I know, I know our listeners will when uh, Robert puts this out in a couple of days. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and we just want to give glory to Mary and to her son. Uh, yeah, that's the wow comes from them. So thank you. Thank you for, for the, the opportunity. Thanks, well, Keith. Thank you, Keith. God bless. Thank you. God bless you. Well, Robert, another great story, another powerful story. You know, I was a little reticent at the beginning when you do bring on guests that are of maybe a younger age, a generation removed, if they have enough life lessons to tell. Boy, and I just can't believe how much I learned well, from Keith. For you, I think our guest today was two generations <laughs> removed. But again, but again, I digress on that. I know. Yeah. I mean, and it comes back to like what you're saying. Like you think you know somebody. Like we had mm-hmm. we had met the one time when they came into school. We had a, a good chat and kind of got to right. know a little right. bit. And you think you know a little bit the story. And then having spent that week this this past summer with Keith being in the Totus Tuus mm-hmm. at St. Bernadette Parish. Yeah. And being able to have some lunchtime conversations and talking with him and the three other missionaries, you know, right. you think you really get to know somebody's story mm. that way. And then he comes out with that. Yeah, it was so, so good. And such, 
I don't know. Our listeners will get so much. I got so much of that. You got so much of that. And I, yeah. I didn't realize that. I knew he was in last year. I didn't realize he was one of those regen missionaries who had come in pre-pandemic to the school. That just shows you maybe my, I'm forgetting a little bit as we go forward type thing. Yeah, or maybe I'm just getting lost in the, the midst of time. What's pre-pandemic, what's post-pandemic. Yeah. It's uh, all, all a bit of a wash for me. That's uh, I'm starting to show my age. I'm catching up to you there, my friend. Uh, I think I think you're a little bit older now, but God is great the way He kind of puts us through all these different plans and paths, and ends up we end up where we are, right? Oh, exactly. God keeps putting people in your path Mm -hmm. for a reason, one hundred percent, right? And Keith just seems to have been one of those guys Mm -hmm. that kept showing up, crossing our path. So it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, God is asking for us to have Him here on the show, and we pray for Him as He continues His vocation for sure. Oh, exactly, exactly. Tomorrow morning after Mass, uh, we always say a prayer with the statue of St. Jean Vianney after Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, pray for vocations. Pray that young men, not that they're being called, because the, the young men are still being called to vocations, but pray that young men will listen to the call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will definitely bring vocation. Keith's vocation uh, to, to my prayers tomorrow. And we never got a chance to talk about the great St. Padre Pio. But no. for maybe another show. Feast day today. The day that we're recording, the Feast of St. Padre Pio. Pio. Um, stigmata. Yeah, Do you know he was the first priest to have the stigmata? I did not realize that. Neither did I. I was reading Neither that today, I. Robert, in your Laudate that he had said to me. Bilocate, levitate. I mean, that children's hospital he founded in Italy. What a great man. And you want to bring in the Keith point about suffering here. How much did that man suffer? I mean, he was rejected by his peers, those above him in authority, and yet now he's St. Padre Pio. It's amazing how the people who are closest to God suffer the most. I know, I know. And I, I want to say it was St. Teresa of Avila who once said, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, I hate to see the way you treat your enemies. Yeah, that's that's a very good quote. I'm pretty sure it was St. Teresa Mm -hmm. of Avila, but please don't uh, cite me on that. Or if listeners know Mm -hmm. who it was and it was not her, let us know. Yeah, it won't always be smooth sailing. Exactly. But Dennis, as always, the time seems to have flown by and my hourglass of puppy love seems to be just about empty. I can't believe that you haven't finished that puppy love in well over an hour. We're, We're almost pushing an hour and a half here, Robert. It's a, a great beer, and it is it just, good? Was it good? Mine was very beautiful, good. beautiful, yeah, and it just Belgian, needed to be savored. My Belgian Trapel. How would you pronounce Trapel? No wonder it was coming at your nose if you're drinking a nine percent beer that quickly. Nine point five. Yeah, and yeah. don't worry, I got that rest of that. Always a pleasure, both the pint and the conversation, Robert. As we were just saying, especially the pint. Yes, but it's always a pleasure to talk about our Catholic faith as well, especially with Keith this afternoon. Very true, very true. Now, Dennis, just before we wrap up, perhaps there's one small favor we could ask of our listeners. If you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook, drop us a line there, or you can send us an email at pintsandpews at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Chat again soon, my friend. God willing. And until then, why don't you remind our listeners of the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. Take care, Robert.